Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. The People's Podcast. Here to rock the podcast world. And welcome to another edition to the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show. It is uh, Fraser Ramsey here. Uh, my co-host is not actually here at the moment, but he is. My co-host is actually on the line. Hugh Hattrick is not physically in the studio. He's down near Luton. So, hi, Hugh. Welcome to the show, obviously, by phone. Hello, hello. Good to uh, speak to all of our wonderful listeners out there on Hearts Online. This is our second show on Hearts Online. Uh, obviously, the first one with a few teething problems, but we uh, ironed them out. And we also have a special guest, Richard Lucas. So, hi, Richard. Hello, Des. Good to be here. Uh, so, we're basically going to talk about the current uh, general election, which has just gone, and the, well, let's just say the complete farce it was. Uh, let's just say nobody won. Uh, it was a bit of a kind of humdinger, really, because what Theresa May was trying to do, it kind of went, didn't happen. And Jeremy Corden is in smoking under, smoking the weed with uh, Diane Abbott. So it's all, it's all go, really. It's all happening. So, Hugh, what's uh, your thoughts recently over the last couple of days? Yeah, I was kind of shocked to have to admit, because I was expecting a, a reasonable kind of Tory landslide, or certainly a majority. And then when the, when the exit poll came through, I thought, surely that has to be wrong. Um, but I think like with a lot of people, um, you found out that it was pretty accurate. Um, and uh, yeah, I can hardly believe that people have voted for Labour. I mean, with the economics, economic policy written by Dan Abbott, you really have to wonder how, if anyone in the country can add up. I mean, it's absolutely shocking. Um, I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed that people would vote for that because it's, it's all the momentum lot. We have basically told all the young people to, if they get, you know, they've got everything for free if they vote for Labour, and and somebody else will pay. Usually, somebody else who's earning some money because they won't be earning anything. But um, so yeah, no, it's it's been quite a weekend. So it'll be interesting to see now what happens next. If there's going to be a, a formation with the DUP um, to help give Theresa May um, some form of stable government. So, what's your thoughts, Richard? I think it's been fascinating. I agree with you. Uh, I think it's incredible how well Labour have done. But I think it shows what's possible when you've got someone with a really firm ideology. They know what they believe. They're passionate about it. And they're not trying to get their slice of the market that their, you know, their surveys and their researchers say is there. They're out to convince people of their case. And that's what Jeremy Corbyn has done. I think he's completely wrong on virtually everything. But he went out to make his case to convince people that he was right. And that's what he's done. Whereas I think the Conservatives have done the opposite. Theresa May seemed to go into the campaign determined to say as little as possible. They were not trying to have a battle of ideas just to point out how bad the other fellow was and hope people will vote for you by default. But I think Jeremy Corbyn, if there's any positive in the success of Labour, is it shows the potential to go out there with your viewpoint and win people over. If you're passionate about it and you're straight talking, if people see that you're sincere, it can be attractive. People can change their minds. What do you think, uh, just to backtrack a little bit, what do you think possessed her in the first place to uh, actually say, let's not call a snap general election? I'll tell you what, I, I th if I was in Theresa May position, I would think you tend to have a honeymoon period when you take over as a leader, particularly in that sort of situation. I remember when Gordon Brown took over. It was, it was incredibly popular for a short period, and then it went sour. And then Theresa May thought, right, this is my honeymoon period. Miles ahead in the polls. Jeremy Corbyn, totally incompetent. We can't lose. Now's the time to do it. Give it a year or two. Who knows what will have happened to our ratings 
So now's the time we know make hay while the sun shines. But on it morally, that's slightly dubious. It's obviously the self-interest, playing the system for your own party political interest. But I can understand the temptation to do that. And if our system allows the Prime Minister to do that, then I suppose it's a fault of the system rather than the fault of the Conservative Party for exploiting that. Do you think, uh, I mean, do you think she was being greedy and being a little bit arrogant and kind of sort of thinking, yeah, we can actually do this and take votes off the UKIP because really UKIP were kind of almost finished anyway just a bit because UKIP were Nigel Farage? Yeah, she, she, I think she had every reason to be confident, every reason to, conf to be confident. I mean, how many commentators were saying this is a really risky thing to do because Labour might come up and, and be not far off beating you in this? Nobody was saying that. No one was expecting anything like that. To happen, so I wouldn't particularly call it call it arrogance. I would call it confidence. And from that point in time, there was every reason to be confident. So I'm not I'm not sure I criticise it for being arrogant. Hugh, what's your thoughts? I think it was I think it was Putin's fault. I think he rigged the British election. <laughs> so that Corbyn nearly got it. If if it was still the Soviet he, Union, I might believe that. Yeah, yeah well, at least there are more links. You know, you know, you know, at least there are a few more kind of communist links in there, uh -huh. you know. Well, there was, um, there, was a, there was a guy, it was somebody who did uh, some research via Twitter, um, researching through people who were tweeting out, saying that they actually voted more than once because they used their, they kind of changed names and used their, like, parents and used their vote instead. Really? Yeah, uh -huh. so they're kind of way of uh, wangling a few extra votes without actually... And doing it illegally. Ah, yeah, yeah, I think the, the postal vote issue is very serious as well. That really needs sorting out. But ah. you hear stories, it's very easy to imagine of, of a family uh, where the, the father figure has great authority and control within the family, gets the family around the dining table, all eight of them or whatever, and they've all got their postal votes, right, everyone, let's all do this together. It's so wide open uh, to, to corruption like that, and that, that really needs... Should Someone it? needs to get a grip on that. Yeah, that's when you, that's when you get 104 percent of the electorate voted. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> that was like, you know. Yeah. Should, <laughs> should there be a should there be a system in some way or form that obviously, because the age is technically 18 uh, above that you have to, the way to setting a postal vote that you you have to be able to type in your national insurance number online and to do it that way instead of actually postal voting. Which means, because uh, your national insurance number is your identity for your obviously paying national insurance, etc., for the health service. Uh, or you could have a there. passport or a driving license, some photographic ID, isn't it? So when you but, go in yeah. to the, you know, to the to give, to give you votes, they know it's you. Yeah. I mean, and if it's a line, as, as soon as you're doing it at, at home, there's the possibility that someone's looking over your shoulder, saying, "Come uh, on, let, let, uh, let's go, let's go and do the voting." I think it's amazing that you can turn up at the polling station with no ID and no no card. And you can vote. I think that's incredible. Right, you imagine you anyone running a business like that. Yeah. So you turned up with no paperwork, no uh, receipt or anything. You just said, I'm, I'm the person who bought that car there. And they said, okay, then they're the yeah. keys to drive it off. And it's, it's, I don't know how much fraud goes on on that basis, but it's, uh, it seems incredible that that's the system. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, well, I think as well, the manifesto, the conservative manifesto, was shockingly awful. I mean, it, it really it offered absolutely nothing. I mean, the first thing they went for was a kind of dementia attack, so the way that that's the way it came across. And what they should have done is to try and make it a bit more ambitious and to show that actually, you know, we, the free market works. You know, let's get some, you know, positive, um, you know, tax cuts or, or, you know, cutting the size of government. 
something exciting that people of all kind of groups could, could get behind, or certainly, you know, what uh-huh. most of the country could get behind. And there was nothing, there was nothing to motivate anyone. It was no. completely dead. Yeah, the strategy was to be bland, wasn't it? I think Theresa May yeah. thought, if I argue the case for conservative principles, that's going to put some people off. Anyone who's remote cons- remotely conservative is going to vote for us in any case. So if I really make the case strongly, it's going to put people off. So best just to be bland uh, and that'll work best. Right. Let's just come back to the dementia tax. And I feel sorry for the conservatives with that. I mean, you could argue about the details of it. But at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is come up with a system that's going to enable them to balance the books, which is really right. grown-up right. politics, isn't it? Whereas yeah, Labour, yeah, exactly. la- Labour with that, there'd be no doing the sums. It would just be, yeah, give everything to everyone. It's all free. It's all great. It'll be brilliant. Right. Vote for us. Uh, and it will provide everything for you which is totally irresponsible, but the Conservatives just dip a toe in the, uh, in the waters of actually, there's, there's pros and cons here. We've got to face up to the facts and face our responsibilities as a nation to pay our way. And uh, they're just slated uh, for it, completely slated. Yeah, so what are the politicians yeah. supposed to do? If they're responsible and offer something that is going to make the, the finances of the nation sustainable, they're just laughed out of court. They're derided for it. And they're punished yeah. by the electorate. Well, I mean, I think they would have done an awful lot better, especially with a lot of the Labour voters, or, you know, the UKIP voters that went back to Labour, if they had mm-hmm. actually said, right, we're going to cut the foreign aid budget. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to do something. I know it would have been pretty radical for me to do something like that. But, you know, I think there would have been actually quite a lot of support from for real working people. That's actually, you know, people are fed up with their money going everywhere, except mm-hmm. on real services and, and important areas. And other, other areas that you could have cut, you know, they could have done something a bit more radical with the pensions. And I actually said, right, we're, you know, we're going to cut the pension tax contributions and just allow people to put the money into pensions that they want to. I mean, that's worth similarly £50 billion a year in cost to the government. Mm-hmm. And you could be balancing the books just about overnight if they started being a bit more radical. And then you can offer people so much more, you know, kind of a positive future if you've actually got money in the bank to do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the way they've done it, it was going to cost them a fortune and they, everything was just tax rises and really adding to the gloom of, like, the, the, the remainers. And mm-hmm. they were saying how bad Brexit was going to be, and they continued on that course when they should have been, you know, maximising the opportunities and making it exciting. Yeah, uh, I think with foreign aid, any party that that threatened it, they're going to get they're going to get bad PR from it. But on the other hand, there are so many clear cases where foreign aid has clearly been spent unwisely. Uh, yeah. really yeah. ridiculous instances where no. it's been used to fund projects that that virtually anyone in Britain would look at and say that's just a complete waste of money. So like any party that can distinguish clearly between where aid has been spent to help genuine need, which I think most people are happy with that, and between where it's going towards supporting some politically correct uh, ideology um, and just total nonsense in some cases, profligate nonsense. I think if a party party can make that division clear, then I think that that would be a popular policy. Yeah. Well, I think you could have, like, for example, a disasters fund. Mm-hmm. So you see, you cut ten billion off the foreign aid budget, mm-hmm. and so you're right, you have a two billion budget for disasters. Yep. So it only goes to countries that have the actual general, you know, you know, proper need for it, mm-hmm. um, like the tsunami or the earthquakes and things like that, because mm-hmm. then it's actually there and it's ready to go. And you also then you get rid of all that third sector who are just consuming all that taxpayers' money and just yep. wasting it, just creaming it off the top. Yeah. Well, I, I would always be in favour of, of free trade as the way to lift countries out of poverty it's free yeah, trade that yeah, ultimately exactly. is is what's going to help and there are some I mean, academics who study foreign aid and there are serious question marks about whether they think it does any good in the longer term yeah. but we've got the 
the the government that the charities that are funded by foreign aid they're very influential they've got huge pr machines and they oh, yeah, pre present yeah. the case in the west that the way to help these poorer countries is through aid delivery is through through themselves and there's no one funded to be promoting the case that the way to really help countries is through is through trade through removing trade barriers and enabling their yeah. economies to grow yeah, exactly, and that's what exactly everything that the EU doesn't do, because mm -hmm. it puts all the tariffs on all these um, yep. Commonwealth countries and other countries, third, the developing countries, uh, and we should be removing tariffs and and help, you know helping them to yep. sell their products uh, and, and the, lower, lowering our costs in the in the pro, in the process. And the most clear cut case of all is the Scottish government giving foreign aid, which I think is completely out of order. It's it's not the remit of the Scottish government to deal with that. Uh, and yeah. Do Scottish taxpayers really want to be giving money to Pakistan with its uh, atrocious human rights record? Nuclear-armed yeah. Pakistan. So why does the Scottish uh, government choose to send money to Pakistan? There's an open question to discuss. But I know uh, most people would not be keen on t Scottish taxpayers' money going to Pakistan. Yeah. They're just spending the money launching missiles into space, or is it India? Mm -hmm. That's what they're trying to do. Yeah. But I think, I mean, looking at the whole thing, her, well, over the weekend, her advisors basically went, resigned, because they knew they were, their head was on the chopping block. Um, do you think they, I mean, how, how did they manage to get it so wrong to advise her in the whole process of this election? Well, I think because she's quite a lefty. I mean, you know, Theresa May is, is really kind of very pro-big government. And that's the thing, as we were saying earlier, you know, she just wanted to bring over a very kind of boring, bland... One nation Toryism that just didn't stand for anything. It was barely better than Labour. You and know. plus, she is a Remainer. And, and plus, she is a Remainer as well, because she is yeah. she wanted to remain in the EU. But so technically, we've got a Remainer trying to get us out of the EU, which is probably not the best option. But obviously, over the weekend, a lot of people were simply calling her to resign. But technically, in a sense, what good would that do to resign and have the out the having to go through our three month. Um, a three-month leadership debate, just to, uh, which would weaken the Tories even worse, uh, which would weaken the the situation regarding Brexit, and it could right. leave a potential open door for uh, smoking the the weed, Mr. Corbyn. You know what I mean? Aye, aye. Yeah, I, I think yeah, with the concerns, cap, with black cap coming in, and uh, that's you know, <laughs> if he comes into number ten wearing his old Chelsea. <laughs> that would be a that would be a picture on every front page, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, you yeah. think, oh my goodness me, you know. And next thing you'll have Hamas in there and the whole lot, you know, having a tea party for terrorists, you know. It's talking to the terrorists. Uh -huh. You know <laughs> if, if if you imagine you're a conservative strategist there, if you if you were coming up with a grand plan, might there be a case for saying, Okay, Theresa May is very un un unpopular, things haven't gone well. But the Brexit negotiations are going to be pretty up and down. They're going to be controversial and tough. Why then we we'll let her do that? Then we'll switch leader just to give Aye. us a good run into the next general election. Aye. I think, uh, there's, yeah. uh, there might be a case for that. I think if she can, whatever happens regarding Brexit and sorting it out, uh, I, mean, I think if they're going to go for a soft Brexit to please the Scottish Tories and the DUP, regarding uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, uh, border-wise, they're going to have to, I think, if anybody, I think David uh, David Davis would be a good candidate, because he seems to know he's a Brexiteer, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, also his name's come up quite a lot. Yeah, it's been rumoured that they might be, might, if, if he was 
if a leadership contest did come up for you, as he was rumoured to be going for it. I think there was some, I can't remember his name, there was some other guy that was publicised on there, it was a pretty much unknown guy, he seemed to be uh, keen to do it, but it seemed quite, I can't remember, the name escapes me basically. It was kind of... Lord really Norman Tibbet. Lord, uh, Lord Tibbet, he'd be quite good, or Daniel Hannon, he'd be quite good. <laughs> what, what about Boris Johnson? Yeah, I thought, uh, that was the other thing, because that was the thing I was going to say to you, Richard. Um, when when um, Theresa didn't come on the debate, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I mean the, the Corbyn played it really well because he said he wasn't going to do it. And then on the day, he said he would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, May didn't bother turning up. And I think she should have done it because she normally made mincemeat of him at Minister's Questions. I think she would have done the same in a, in a debate. Mm-hmm. It would have given her a chance to stretch her legs a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, or, and certainly if she didn't want to do it, she should have got, and Amber was okay, but she should have got Boris Johnston because mm-hmm. he was much better at dealing with Bill. I mean, was, uh, that, that debate on the Wednesday night with BBC was horrendous. It was all so left-wing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boris would have been the only person, I think, to have really kind of stirred it up and, yeah. and told them where to go. You see, the Conservatives are still, they're in, to my mind, they're in the pre-Jeremy Corbyn mindset. They're thinking, we need ah. to get someone who's going to have broad appeal, someone who the, the, the sort of middle ground will appeal to. Whereas the Labour Party have gone for someone who was, was seen as someone quite extreme, but someone's going to go out and argue the case for left-wing principles and win people over. Whereas I think Boris Johnson would be someone who would do that. Uh, he got elected yeah, as the yeah. mayor of London, London of all places, and that's quite an achievement to get elected as a Conservative. But exactly. he's someone who would be yeah. on the front foot, would make the case for uh, Conservative principles. And I think the Conservative exactly. Party's mindset at the moment uh, would be that that's the last thing they want. That they yeah, still want yeah, they want crazy. to be bland middle of the road. So I think they're they're scared of the BBC. They're scared of the media. They don't want called nasty. They don't want calling various names. So they yeah. they're sort of timid and they go for the sort of centrist view where they're not really winning people over because they're not presenting a case. They're not they're not engaged in the battle of ideas. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think of the DUP arrangement um, with the Conservatives? Because I mean they're very socially conservative. I really have quite a lot of time for them in terms of their, um, the fact that they're pro-life and they're, you know, they're, uh, they could make some very interesting demands from the, from the, uh, from the government. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, this election. When we went into it, I, I almost didn't vote. I did in the end. I voted for what I thought was the least bad option. Mm. But I looked through the, the parties and I thought, I don't want any of these parties to win. I don't want any Aye. of them to feel they've, they've been endorsed. Uh, to lead the yeah. country. And as it happened, pretty well, all the main parties, they all lost in their own way. The Conservatives yeah. lost the majority. Yeah. Labour didn't win. The SNP were cut back. Lib Dems didn't get anywhere. UKIP wiped out. So as though they all lost. Right. But the, the only one that won was the DUP. Now, for a lot of issues I'm interested in that I think are really important, and the other parties not, yeah. the DUP is the party, uh, probably, I'd say, maybe the only party in Parliament at the moment that actually promotes those principles and it so happens yeah, yeah. That, that the result in a sense for me it's sort of the perfect result that a socially conservative party has been given disproportionate influence while all the other ones yeah. that are heading in a socially liberal so politically correct direction yeah uh, uh, have all had bad results so so i'm quite happy with that yeah yeah because they, they, they won an extra two seats i think in northern ireland didn't they mm-hmm. they won an extra from eight to ten yeah, and uh, it's quite it's quite interesting, and I love the fact that they're against climate change, and so it's got all the climate kind of lock, you know, and all the religious um, climate zealots kind of all all up in arms, you know, jumping around saying how can it be you can't do a deal with them, 
yeah. and then they're going to have to because it's the only way they're going to get things through. So I'm, I'm really hoping they're going to make some good demands, like let's let's um, scrap the Climate Change Act in Britain. That would save them a, a few bobs, certainly. Uh-huh. I think about 18 billion yeah. a year. But uh, but there's all sorts of good things, and I think as well because it's a it's a very much like a kind of Christian party there. You know, it's a lot more kind of godly policies. That actually, I think it could be a real blessing for Britain if they adopted some of their stuff, or if they mm-hmm. had to pull some, um, you know, if they, if they did have some influence on some of the policies um, in order to support the, the government. I think it could be very interesting yeah. um, as to what happens. Yeah. I think we, all, we also need to be thankful <coughs> for, if you think about it, that uh, if it wasn't for the Lib Dems and the Tories taking seats off some of the SNP in Scotland, you have to make. Um, the bottom line is, if they hadn't taken, if you imagine that SNP won all those seats, and it was totally a blanket right. wipeout. Imagine the SNP being a coalition with Labour and running the UK. Then we'd be, we'd be finished, literally. Oh, disaster. It'd be it, it, inward investment would be a thing of the past. You know, I mean, they'd all be everything would just disappear overnight. I mean, the footsie yep. would go from seven and a half thousand to about two hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it'd be, you know, you need a barrel. A kind of a yeah. wheelbarrow to go and get pay for your bread in the morning, you know, yeah. for the price of the pound. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Isn't it? People are people are really surprised that Labour's done so well despite being so left wing, and they're saying a, a lot of younger people have come in to vote. But what what people need to wake up to, the Conservatives, especially, is they need to look at the education system. I was just yeah, reading yeah. something today. It's saying something like seventy six percent of teachers in schools in Britain uh, vote Labour. So yeah, I'd add yeah, in yeah. some SNP as well, something like 19% vote Conservative. So you, you've got yeah. the potential for a problem there. You've got potential for bias. And maybe, maybe not oh. outright indoctrination, but a bias to be coming through to kids through their education. If you're, if you're teaching yeah. maths, maybe not so much, but if you're teaching English or history or social science or modern studies or whatever, lots of, op- or PSE, PSHE, lots of opportunity yeah. for, your, for your views, for your philosophy to go through to the kids and then add on to that so you've got teachers who on the whole are going to be leaning in that direction then you've also got the yeah. government agencies like Education Scotland whatever they're also pushing in that same direction as well and this has a massive influence on kids then they go to university where the academic staff over, over recent decades have become more and more and more left wing and by the time they've been through that there's got to be someone very independently very independent minded very strong willed to have resisted that and to come out the other end saying, no, actually, I think what my teachers were saying, what my lecturers were saying, I think they've got it wrong. And I, I'm yeah. seeing the world a bit differently than that. But the Conservatives, never, they never do anything about it. Um, because the, yeah. the left-wing governments, they, they push things, all these sort of cultural factors, they push them all in their direction. But then the Conservatives don't try and redress the balance when they're in yeah. power. They're trying to put the economy straight or whatever. So it seems to be a one-way street. These institutions are becoming more and more uh, liberal and left-wing, so social justice issues dominated. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major yeah, problem. Quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know it's, it is, and it, and it does have a horrendous influence. I, mean, I, I know a number of school teachers in, uh, in Scotland, and, uh, and they are, they are, many of them, it's not all of them, the ones that I know actually, um, are all pretty left-wing. Mm-hmm. And that's where we normally have good, good, interesting conversations with them. But, but it just seems to take over. The politics takes over. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think you can, you know, if you're that involved with such views, it's going to eventually come out somewhere um, yeah. in your teaching. 
Yeah. You know, I think probably only in the terms of private schools that you know that it doesn't because it's not politicised there. Um, mm. And you go, I suppose, with the school for the school, but um, but certainly, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, look at the way that Scottish education has suddenly declined dramatically yeah. over the years. You know, mm-hmm. in, in, since the SNP took over, mm-hmm. and there's lots of propaganda going on, not just with a name person scheme, um, but with all sorts of stuff. You know, they've all got climate change posters in the schools everywhere, and all this kind of stuff. So it's not surprising that they've just they've been totally redirected about truth and facts yeah. um, for a pretty kind of uh, loony yeah. science. And, and nonsense and everything's all things about you know you know transgender this and that um, <laughs> rather than actual yeah, you know, proper proper life you know and, and how to deal with things but, and how but to the, make things work yeah the political debate on that if look at the conservatives will say Scottish education's failing standards are going down this is this is terrible we need to really shake things up and sort things out but then you listen to what they're recommending. It, it all comes down. It all comes down to money. We're going to train more teachers and this and that. Again, there's no battle of ideas. There's, there's no party yeah. saying the underlying philosophy of Scottish education is wrong. It's yeah. all that they're, they're, they're more concerned about closing the equality gap, the, the um, attainment gap yeah. between yeah. sort of richer yeah. and poorer students than they are about pushing up overall standards. They're more concerned about yeah. getting these sort of politically correct values in the kids than they are yeah. about them. Learning basic skills, but the conservatives yeah. won't do that because they know it would be so unpopular uh, with with teachers, with the educational yeah. establishment. The conservative parties don't quite want to take it on. Just to give an illustration, I was looking at earlier on today. I mean, Joe Cox was murdered uh, a while ago. Okay, terrible yeah. thing to happen. But Education Scotland now are promoting an event to commemorate a, a sort of street party picnic thing. You know, all, all fair enough. You know, and to talk about Joe Cox's murder as, as a terrible thing, that's all fine. But then on the back of that, there's assemblies to do, there's resources. And it's, it's so, you know, we need to remember what Joe Cox stood for. She stood for multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is a politically controversial concept. Yeah, the idea yeah. that, that you should have separate communities living parallel existences instead of integrating into a cohesive whole that's a politically yeah. controversial view um, it's also yeah. there's the yeah. feminist bit I, Joe Cox wanted to get into parliament because there are only 23% women uh, which again that's a political view which I disagree yeah. with I, I don't think that's you need to have 50-50 male and female in politics Politics. so again a political yeah. view and Education yeah. Scotland has no qualms in promoting those yeah. two political philosophies to school children, uh, no qualms at all. Absolutely open about it. It's, it's preaching. Yeah. It's preaching. I mean, some people yeah. indoctrination is a very strong word to use, but it's certainly but it has a huge influence. It's certainly it's brazen influence. abuse of the position, because Scotland's yeah. such an echo chamber. The people lose yeah. lose sight of the fact that these are political opinions, and they just think yeah. it's common knowledge. It's what every decent person thinks. Every every decent person. Um, supports multiculturalism. Every decent person is a feminist in, in sort of Western terms, but it's not the case. Uh, yeah, I know yeah, it's, it's coming. I mean, I was, I was, I, I, I was walking through Glasgow. I was there at the weekend there, and you know, when you look at these wonderful old buildings that have been put up there with a, you know, an industrial revolution and during the most incredible times of economic growth. Mm-hmm. where it was real trade and real work that paid for it all. Yep. And now, you know, the public sector in Scotland is bigger than the private sector. Yep. Um, it's, it's shocking, and, and, and it's become, you know, I wouldn't say kind of almost communist, but certainly it's not far off 
the, the kind of socialism and sorry modern leftism you know is, is just taken over and they've completely forgotten how to create jobs i mean they all, they all talk about on the like was it sturgeon was saying you know, we're going to create all the jobs as if it's the state's job to actually create jobs mm-hmm. when it's you know, everyone knows it's the other way around it's the marketplace that creates the jobs yeah and they've just got no idea i think the other thing with the massive um public sector is uh, as in schools i think the, the the government employs people, then it preaches to them. It promotes a, a political philosophy to them. Most people, yeah. they're not alert to it. They're not aware of it. They don't recognize it. But that's what they do. You get your equality and diversity training, fairness. I mean, it's just that straight from the SNP manifesto. You know, econo- economic inequalities, all this sort of thing. Which, which it's mixed in with some things that are uncontroversially sound principles, but then mixed in with it is some politically charged content as well and that they preach to their employees now when you've got the government employing going on half the people in the country and t- using that as a means to promote their ideology to them i think that's, that's very concerning but how many yeah. people recognize it so i think people need educating so that if you're working for the government when you're sent on the various training schemes and look at the various policies mm. people need to recognize that there's politically controversial content that they're being presented with, yeah. that they can say they agree uh, with or they disagree with. They uh, ought to feel free to say that, but they'll be afraid to, because it's tied up with your job. Yeah, no, that's the thing. I mean, I remember going on a few um, kind of local education board training days, and they were horrendous. Because mm-hmm. when we were um, training with, uh, the, the, even just the, 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 the cultural names now, that we have to, uh, terms that we have to use, for example, for dealing with disabled people, are mm-hmm. so pleasantly correct, and they don't. Because uh, I, you know, I'm a carer. Um, I work with uh, folk who, need, who have you know major needs every day. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing is, they don't want to be treated like the the councils are treating them, mm-hmm. and like the, the the PC lot are treating them. They want to be seen as people. Yeah, they might have a few problems, but they're not. It's not over, and they can actually do as much as they can themselves to be independent. And yep. you know, at the same time, they do see <coughs> themselves as vulnerable, um, but not. But the way that yeah. the, the terms that they use are, are horrendous. Yeah, they're, they're, they're into, it's making a victim of everybody. Yeah, they're into this social model of disability. I watched a debate yeah. in the Scottish Parliament about it. The social model of disability, the, the idea is that if someone... So if, if, for example, I was very unfortunate and happened to say, that to, to lose, lose my legs, say, and I was unable to walk, then the social mm-hmm. model of disability says that the reason I can't do things now, it's not because I've lost any abilities, not that there's any problem with me, it's because society is failing. It's their bad attitudes and their failure to make adequate provision for me. Now, I can sort of see what they're getting at. Obviously, we all want to make provision for disabled people. We want to try and help them to live uh, as normal a life as possible and to overcome the problems that they've got. But saying that someone's problems are caused by attitudes and the unwillingness of society to adapt, it's just wrong. It's gibberish. And I think you, yeah, you don't yeah. help people by saying things that are not true. And the uh, debate of the uh, Scottish uh, Parliament, everyone I heard standing up, they said, yep, this is the approach we fully endorse. No MSP stood up and said, hang on a minute. I'm all yeah, for helping yeah. the, the disabled people in every way we can, but this is just nonsense. It's just yeah. not true. You don't have to believe uh, things that are not true in order to help yeah. people who, who are facing yeah. challenges. But in the Scottish Parliament at the moment, who would say that? No one. No one at yeah. all. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly regressive. 
in, mm. in, in the Scottish <coughs> Parliament, isn't it? It's something but Oh, Fraser, you're coming in to, yeah, I'm going to, to put us on to our next subject. We're going to actually take a slight break. We're going to play a song. It's called Head Up, and it's by Bradley Mitchell Cooper. He's a Canadian singer-songwriter, and he's based in Edinburgh at present. So we're going to take a small break and play some music for just over three minutes. So I'll uh, be back shortly. I'm just going to meet you here. I'll be back in a second. Okay, so stay on the line. the storm so you can see the clouds parting it may be hard to sing along but take a look at just starting who you are is who i need to be with your scars you can keep an eye out for me too many hours in the night for more days in the future when you need the sunlight you know it's coming to sue you who you are is who i need you to see with your strength you can shine it down on me who you are is who i need you to be with your scars you can shine it down on me we've been told that things aren't always fair we must forgive ourselves and never despair Don't blame yourself, it's not your fault Only precious things are kept in a vault Please try to love the world again Some of us still need your hand Yes, I'm still on the line. Well, what we do before we kick on the next subject, can you pass the phone to John and see if we can give him, see if we can give him a brief summary of what we, his thoughts on the whole saga has been, so we can then go yes. on to the next topic. Okay, okay. Here he is. <clears throat> uh, welcome, John. Hello, uh, hello, John. This is uh, for everyone who's listening. This is John Sutherland. He's our third uh, par- uh, partner in crime for the Hatrick and Ramsey on these podcast show. You are listening to the Hatrick and Ramsey on these podcast show. Live on Heart Song Radio. Uh, it's heartsonglive.co.uk. If you want to go to the website, you can listen. There's also an app you can download. We have a special guest, Richard Lucas, and we'll briefly get a bit more insight into who Richard is. 
So, John, what is uh, your final summary of the whole general election which has happened? It's been a bit of a farce, but what's your sort of outlook on it? Yeah, very, very expensive, Fraser, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's uh, paying, when you yeah. go, said paying red or black, it was red or blue, wasn't it? It was red or blue, and I'm afraid I came up wrong. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a different story, yeah. I'm not quite sure what you guys have already spoken about, so I don't want to sort of repeat that, but obviously a, a bit of a shock result, really, um, on the night, but uh, in hindsight, with a little bit of time to reflect on it, maybe not so shocking at all when you look at the, the campaign that Theresa May, Theresa Maybox, is that her name now, um, ran. And <laughs> just a message out there to anyone out there who has a politician, a Theresa Maybox, upgrade the software. Upgrade the software, otherwise it just stays strong and stable for seven weeks and the country is put into utter, utter chaos. You know, so uh, just if you have a Theresa Maybox, do that update immediately. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, total chaos now, Fraser, and I, I don't know, um, I, I mean, I couldn't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone in, in three months. Do you think uh, there's a chance that we could, I mean, we just don't know what's going to happen, obviously, in a few months, but do you think there's a chance that we could have another general election before the end of the year or potentially next year? Well, I've just arrived here. I was in London today running through the airports and some railway stations, and every single newsstand, the free newspapers like the Metro or the Standard, all it says on the front of them is, um, Theresa May is a dead woman walking. And if you imagine that just for everyone in, in the country has walked past that image, um, she's so weak. She has so little credibility now. It's going to be very hard for her to, um, to, to get anything through. Uh, you know, whatever she does is going to be wrong going to be attacked from the right, going to be attacked from the left, and uh, she's got a real struggle, so I think there probably will be a leadership challenge, I mean, and whether that leads to a general election, I don't know. I mean, to reflect on the last, uh, basically, just the last month, I mean, from having two terrorist attacks uh, as well, and basically, obviously, a, a Love Manchester concert, I mean, how many concerts do we have to have just to solve for these things when we actually start taking action? It's I know. I mean, I was losing track. I mean, it, it, all these things are probably very helpful for people to come to them to it, but I think the Manchester concert was on the afternoon of the London attack, the London hashtag 2 commemoration was the day that there was an attack in Paris. And, you know, there's so many attacks going on, it's becoming, it's becoming ridiculous, really. And for Theresa May to lose an election to Jeremy Corbyn, a well-known IRA sympathiser, um, in this climate is, is truly shocking. I mean, it, it, it really is. Should, uh, as the London Mayor Sadiq Khan, or Sadiqi Khan, we were calling, um, should be doing more? Well, it, I saw an interview with uh, Sadiq Khan on um, with Good Morning Britain with Piers Morgan, and yes. um, I mean, he got a real drilling this morning. Uh, he didn't seem to have any answers to the questions of why don't you know where these people are? I mean, if you can get a a football hooligan on a control order because they've thrown some bottles in Bordeaux. Why can't we get a control order on someone that's been fighting for ISIS? Because in my mind, that's a far greater crime. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much the, exactly that's the point. Why don't they? So if they can do football hooliganism, they want to stamp it out. <coughs> and uh, they should be doing something more. So, Richard, what's your uh, view on that? Just briefly, and we'll go into our next topic. Mm -hmm. On the whole terrorism thing, or yeah, the just well, just that would just be mentioned there, yeah. Uh huh. Well, I think the the authorities should use use their powers much more uh, sternly. I think when they're aware of 
of people who pose a risk that they need to take, take more and more uh, drastic action to deal with that. Theresa May, when she was Home Secretary, she banned Robert Spencer from coming to the UK. Robert Spencer is a chap who lives in America and he runs a website called Jihad Watch. You can watch him speaking on YouTube. He talks about Islam. Uh, he he criticizes it. He, he points out jihadist motivation, uh, etc. Um, I think he believes that Muhammad didn't really exist. He's basically a scholar. He speaks in a scholarly way. He's not some sort of rabble-rousing thug. He's an academic uh, who's, who takes lines that are very contrary to the uh, mainstream Muslim view. And Theresa May banned him from Britain. Whereas we have people where, who are considerable uh, terrorism risk, radicalization risk, uh, are allowed in. People who've been fighting in Syria, etc., are allowed back in. If anyone suggests they shouldn't be, there's outcry, they're racist and whatever, while critics of Islam are being banned from Britain. Now, the things Robert Spencer says that get him banned from Britain by Theresa May, they're the same sort of things that I say. Now, that makes me think, how, how far is it? Um, if you're saying people are not allowed in the country, what if you've already got someone who's so allegedly dangerous within the country? How do you start dealing with that? Surely it's a short step from saying people who really are stern critics of Islam shouldn't be allowed in Britain and saying people who are stern critics of Islam within Britain shouldn't be allowed to speak either. It's a short step. And I think that's the direction that we're heading in, that Islam is becoming more and more protected from criticism. So I think that's a very important way where the terrorists are getting their own way because they create, uh, um, they create a situation whereby people fear a backlash against Muslims, quite rightly. I don't think there's really evidence that that's happened on any significant scale. But the consequence of that is that seen as a reason to not criticize Islam because it means Muslims will suffer a backlash. So the terrorism achieves uh, what it sets out to achieve is it prevents criticism of Islam because people would see it as provoking a, a backlash. And it also prevents criticism of Islam because people fear you know, what happened to the people who did the Charlie Hebdo cartoons? People fear the direct consequences as well. So a major victory for the terrorists is that they suppress criticism of Islam uh, in Britain. I think that's a huge issue because I think if you're a jihadi, there's three stages in your thinking. You believe in God, you believe that Muhammad's a prophet, and the Quran's a revelation from God. And the third thing you believe is that the Quran and Muhammad's example they teach that you should be a terrorist. That's their, that's their logic. They're their three logical steps. Now, in Britain, all of the emphasis is on claiming that the third step, the third logical step is wrong, saying that the Quran doesn't really say that. The example of Muhammad doesn't really justify that sort of violent application. Uh, whereas I think the weak point in their argument is step number two, the weak point is that Muhammad wasn't a prophet. The Quran isn't a revelation from the God, uh, from God. I actually believe the third point in their logic is quite sound. I think the teaching of the Quran and the example of Muhammad do point in a very aggressive and violent direction. So the culture we've got at the moment, you're not allowed to attack the weak link in their argument. You can only attack what I think is quite a strong link in it. And I think that's obviously not going to work. So what some of the government should try to do is to create the space so that all aspects of Islam are open to debate and they can all face the full force of criticism as all other belief systems do. Okay, um, well, we're going to go on to our next topic which has uh, recently been on the news a lot of the weekends 
Uh, I don't know if you want to join or pass that to Hugh, the phone. I'll put you back on to Hugh. It's been uh, great to be involved, Bill, no. and uh, nice yep, and, uh, appreciate your here opinion. comes you. Thank you. You there, Mr. Hello there, hello. So our next topic we're going to talk about, which is obviously, it was broadcast on the news, that the Scottish Episcopal Church have decided to uh, accept same-sex marriages in the church. Uh, they're basically going down the route, pretty much what the Church of Scotland is doing. And uh, they're obviously coming in on the, they're interviewed on the radio saying we're going to be welcoming and accepting to uh, open to everybody and just thinking uh, uh, what part uh, they've obviously been smoking the same stuff that Jeremy Corbyn has been taking and uh, or the happy pills and uh, just wondering uh, what part have you missed? Uh, Richard, what's your views on that? Whenever I'm watching the TV <laughs> and I see uh, someone appear with a dog collar in front of a stained glass window, my heart sinks <laughs> because I know, I know what's coming. It's going to be someone utterly denying the clear teaching of the Bible. It's always the image the media uh, present. Uh, I think that the problem, I think, inevitably with, with a church, churches will go wrong. They're composed of people. They'll go wrong in different directions at different eras. I think at the moment there's always going to be the temptation uh, for the church to compromise with society. So if you do that, you get the pat on the back. If you could go along, you know, you'd be interviewed by the BBC, and they'll say, people will say, oh, you're just the sort of Christians we like. We wish all Christians could be like you. But we really respect the church more because of you. These people won't actually become Christians and go to church as a result of it. But you get the pat yeah. on the back. You get the warm approval from the rest of society. And it's very tempting for people to, to succumb to that. I think we've seen it in the Church of Scotland. Uh, we've seen it in the, in the Anglican Church. I mean, the, the, the research is clear. The churches that water down the message, they head in the liberal direction. They, the, the, their numbers plummet. And someone once wrote, liberal theology is the longest suicide note in history. And I think it is. And yet still people buy the view that what you need to do, if you could just dilute your message that little bit more, water it down that little bit more, it would become palatable and people will become flooding back to church. But why would they flood back to church if you just if they could just stay at home and read The Guardian instead? <laughs> now, the church has got to have its, its distinct message. And when that's lost, it's uh, an important loss. I think just one last thing to say on that. I, I think the media lags behind reality on this issue. Where they want to, and the general public as well, they assume that the, mod, the moderator of the Church of Scotland or spokespeople for the Church of Scotland or the Scottish Episcopal Church, they still assume that these are the voices of mainstream Christianity in Scotland. Mm. Mm. And, and yet there's a major shift has gone on and continues yeah. to go on uh, where yeah. there, are, there are more people and there were evangelical, charismatic new churches which are more conservative. But I think that the damage that the mainstream, liberal mainstream denominations do by, as I say, by providing the man in a dog collar in front of a stained glass window, <laughs> denying their faith. I think it's, I mean, I think the, Bi the Bible says that they should reflect soberly on, on how God will see that, that they've taken their yeah, position yeah. as a representative of the church. And they've used mm -hmm. it to, I mean, sometimes it's not just denying the teachings of the church. I mean, the new Church of Scotland moderator who's uh, Brown, Derek Browning when I mean, he actively aggressively opposes the teaching of the Bible when Tom Wright was appointed uh, Tom Wright a very famous theologian was the Bishop of Durham Anglican theologian when he was appointed to the University of St Andrews as a professor he's one of the foremost biblical scholars New Testament scholars in the world when he was appointed Derek Browning was writing to newspapers saying this is a disgrace for the University of St Andrews to appoint someone 
who opposed the Bible. They didn't say this, these words. They're basically someone who opposed, opposed the Bible's teaching on sexuality. And, that, that, that's, and that, that man is now the moderator of the Church of Scotland. So it's... Uh, if I was in the... I was in the Church of Scotland years ago. If I, if I was in there now, I would either have to be in there fighting as hard as I could to, to rescue it and reform it and redirect it, or I'd have to say it's time to move on. And to be honest, I think I would probably be concluded it was time to, to move on. There are, there are lots of faithful Christians within the Church of Scotland trying to uphold biblical standards still. Hugh, what's your yeah. view on this? Well, I have to say, yeah, whenever you see it, it's true, whenever you see somebody from the Church of Scotland, you know, like a moderator, or, or when they have their big do every year, when they have their get-together, um, and you just think it's really, this it is, it's a whole bunch of communists in, in lots of dresses, really, isn't they? Yeah, it's pretty I much. mean, it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> well, and... you don't even know what their names are. No, but, you know, well, the thing is, it's become climate change and everything else, and every other kind of politically left-wing view has become the great religion of the Church of Scotland, and, and now in the Episcopal. I mean, it's, it's been totally taken over by all these lefties, mm. um, you know, who are desperate, as you say, not to offend anyone. But they yeah. forget, you know, why, why did Christ end up on a cross? Because he was quite offensive to lots of people, you know. A message, a message cut through and some people didn't like it. And now what they're trying to do is just completely, as I say, we, we can't offend anyone. Um, but actually, it's, it's, you know, you don't have a belief system if you conform to the world. The whole idea of having a, a belief system is that you believe in God and you believe in a, in an, in a better way, in a way of, of sacrifice and, and improving yourself to be, you know, to be a better kind of human being um, and, 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 you know, and bringing the gospel to people that's going to change the lives of, 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 of thousands. Yeah. And here, they don't want to even do that. They're, you know, they're, 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 they're totally terrified of telling the truth. Yeah. Just go back to the Episcopal Church. St. John's Church on Prince's Street have their uh, sort of big board where they have murals painted. They cover yeah. every left-wing, politically correct issue under the sun. But you'll never uh, see anything that's distinctly presenting the Christian gospel. Uh, they put something up once that was implying that um, Nigel Farage was sort of the latest incarnation of Hitler. I mean, completely uh, outrageous. I mean, the chap there, Robert Arms, I think his name is, he's now the Bishop of Edinburgh. Yeah. And again, then we had Holloway. Richard Holloway was the Bishop of Edinburgh. I mean, primus of the entire Scottish right. Episcopal Church. I mean, I, I listen, listen yeah. to him speak, and th he'd say things like, Dear God, if you're there, if you exist. That's the way you would pray publicly. And I think this is clearly not a Christian. But then when he retired, he said, oh, by the way, I'm not a Christian anymore. Uh, so I think that church needs, needs to really reflect um, yeah. very seriously on itself of how that mm. happened. How did they have someone as their leader who was uh, clearly not even believing in God, let alone the teachings of the Christian church? And he was yeah. hugely, hugely popular in the Episcopal yeah. Church. And oh, he was yeah. there for, for years and years. That should be the most embarrassing yeah. thing for a denomination. Yeah. And I don't know what sort of soul searching has gone on. But judging from the way things are, are carrying on going with the Episcopal Church, though, uh, maybe there's not much yeah. soul searching. Uh, but there are excellent churches in the Scottish Episcopal Church. I don't know how oh, yeah. Yeah, things absolutely. will develop in the future, if they'll find their own sphere yeah. of um, oversight or how that will work but I would imagine they're thinking very seriously about that now yeah yeah no definitely I remember I used to go to St Thomas's and Glasgow Road in Edinburgh and it was a fantastic church and uh, and also it was um, P's and G's isn't it St Paul's well, and St George's well they planted that, that church no, yeah they planted that one didn't they, they and that was a really good church and P's and G's has obviously become very big and outgrown the planter uh, that's what mm -hmm. happened in Edinburgh so sorry, but anyway we'll, we'll obviously 
I think the bottom line is, I think the way they're teaching, obviously, young, a lot of the younger people these days in churches is obviously hence the reason why they're obviously accepting... Same as in the school. The, the mm. school, they're, they're upset, accepting the way the world is, and they're uh, opening the doors to everything these days, and just totally, uh, just, just not really doing what the Bible asked, asked us to do, uh, that's the bottom line. But anyway, we'll move on to a quick, we're running out of time, but you've got any car talk, you're obviously where you are at the moment, is in, you're down near Luton, or you've been directing... Of the Islamists onto the plane, the 50 different language, 28 different languages, thanks to Tony Blair. Have you been? <laughs> no, I, I've, I've left that job for you to do. Oh, thanks. It's <laughs> 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 uh, so chocks away, Stelios. Uh, get them back. Anyway. You can try and talk your way out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you're yeah, no, I'm down. I'm down here for a company car in action. Yes, um, which is for fleet buyers. Um, it's a it's a it's a two two day event um, held at Millbrook Proving Ground. Um, and it's one of the best car events in the world. <laughs> I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, it's absolutely free, and if you if you have any kind of um, uh, fleet decision making uh, capabilities with the, within your job description, then you really need to be there um, because you get to. There's over 300 cars available um, this year. Um, lots of manufacturers are there, and basically you turn up. Obviously, you have to apply online, uh, get approved, um, and then you turn up with a little lanyard thing with a, with your name on it. And you hand that over, and you say, "Right, give me the." keys to this one please so um, is, and they give it to you so and you get 15 minutes round, round their track so is, uh, is if you want to buy a fleet of vehicles is John going to stick on his credit card he's not percent for the next two years should they be able to make a few back <laughs> after well you, I'll let you ask John if he's going to buy a car on his credit card <laughs> but uh, uh, beat John very quickly and we'll yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. No, no, but, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So that's where you are at the moment. So we're just going to quickly, just before we end, Richard, tell us who you are. Just for you know, we should have asked you at the beginning, but we're just going to ask you to end so people, so when we get you on the show again, uh, we're already looking to get a few other feature uh, uh, people in politics on. We've got the we've asked Christine Jordan, who's keen to come on, who's the new Lib Dem mm. MP for Edinburgh West, and Alex Cole Hamilton, who's the MSP. For uh, Edinburgh West, and also Jeremy Balfour, who's the MSP for the Conservative. So there's a few people we're looking to get on uh, going forward, and uh, we've got a couple of people who, personal friends of mine, who are keen to come and talk about sport. Uh, we'll get them on as well. But uh, hey, Richard, tell us a brief bit about you in a couple of minutes and who you are. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, originally English. Uh, went to university in Birmingham, lived on the Isle of Wight, but then came up to Edinburgh, what, 22 years ago uh, for a job. I teach maths in a boarding school. And since I've been in Edinburgh, when I first came as a member of the Salvation Army, uh, then as a member of the Church of Scotland for a while, the Church of Scotland I was in uh, merged with another one, and since then we've been part of a New Frontiers Church, King's Church, on Gilmore Place in Edinburgh. Uh, that's great, it's quite a Go new ahead. church, uh, growing quickly, very very vibrant. Uh, I've been involved with the Solas Centre for Public Christianity uh, for probably for about... So seven years or so, I've actually, actually not involved with them anymore, but, but through those there's a lot of, of debates on various issues with politicians, apologists for different religions, secularists, atheists, or whatever. really enjoyed that. It was all, all good experience. Um, I've got a, as I'm married, I've got two sons, one 10 and one 13. Uh, currently I'm a my attention's on a new project that's under wraps at the moment, so watch this space, but I'm working on a new uh, new project, a new outlet for my interest in sort of politics, uh, philosophy. Um, I, I think in Scotland there are lots of lots of debates that don't really happen. 
there's a void in Scottish politics. There are lots of points of view that are just not heard in, uh, in Scottish political debate and Scottish public debate. Um, so I'm, I'm working on a project that's hopefully going to be able to, to put that right to some extent in the future. So yeah. that's me. Cool. Well, uh, we're just going to wrap things up with in our tune just to finalise and say, say thank you for you being on, obviously, for our uh, uh, podcast, which has been great to You're welcome. Uh, uh, be, be down said beyond. Hopefully, we'll, next, well, we'll be on next Monday at the same time, uh, whether mm -hmm. it's live. Sometimes we may be doing a recording show, but uh, just depending on the time, but we should be live again. Great to have Richard on for the first time, and we'll have yeah, him, thank you very much. Have him back soon. Enjoyed it. His view has been good fun. It's been uh, fantastic, Richard. I have to say, it's been wonderful hearing your thoughts on all these political deals and and uh, what's been happening. I thought you've you've brought over your points in, in such a, a a clear and and brilliant way. I think it's uh, definitely you've you've got a good career in that. <laughs> so well, I've really it's, it's, you, you you bring over your points extremely well. It's been a privilege to, to talk to you tonight. I've enjoyed it very much. It's a shame it has to stop. I've got another hour in me here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, well, we, we could certainly go. We usually, if we did have a long, we would certainly go into our usual stuff, uh, which is uh, certainly very NPC, but still good fun. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Hugh. And uh, I'm going to cut you off. Uh, I'm going to wind down with a song so we can uh, go off and I'll catch up with you later on. Yeah. Enjoy, See you later on. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that's your way. I'm just going to mute. Do the, get used to the, the, the buttons on our radio show here. So that's what we're doing. We're just going to play my song and say, uh, thank, it's a lot of pouring out. We played it last week. Uh, we'll play the whole song this time because we had a few technical issues. But uh, let's say thank you for everything and uh, good night. Uh, so we're just going to play the song. If we can drag it in. Okay, do that. There we go. Uh, I'll speak soon. Bye-bye now.